everybody. Thanks very much for hanging out with us today. I am extremely excited for my guest today. Um, those that know me and those that know her, uh, her and I go back a long, long way. Uh, she's a pioneer. She's a mother. She's a grandmother. She's a trailblazer. She's a visionary. She was almost an ex-Barbara Walters. We might talk about that. But if you ask how the organic industry got where it is today, there is absolutely no way that you cannot include this lady in the conversation. Please, everybody, give it up for my friend, Tonya Antle. Welcome. Thank you. Happy New Year, Todd. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. I appreciate you being here on season two of this tomfoolery we got going on here at Conversations. You know, and it's absolutely a thrill to have you here. It really, really is. It means the world to me. So honored to be asked, and absolutely, we go back a long way, so this is going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> Thank you. We do go back a long ways, and then I'm going to give a little bit of history, and I'm going to kind of turn it over to you and, and share, and I want to talk about our history a little bit, and we're going to talk about it all throughout this broadcast. You literally have known me almost my entire career. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's a snippet in the beginning when I was you know, still, still green behind the ears and trying to tie my shoes and figure out which way was up. To the point where I got into Los Angeles, and then all of a sudden, now look at us. Here we are, hanging out on a Zoom call, talking to the world about produce and our lives and what we've done. I mean, talk about a little melancholy this morning. This is pretty cool. I know. Well, except for my getting a start on the ranch, we both got our careers started um, at the LA Terminal Markets. Uh, we did. So it, yes, we have a lot in common with that. Well. Yeah, the LA Terminal. I'll tell you what. You want to go? You want to learn something quick? Go back to the LA Terminal back in the eighties. And live that lifestyle for a while. Yeah, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> oh my God, the story, the stories we could tell. It's a good thing I have an explicit rating because I do tell the stories. They're that bad. Yeah, no, the stories we could tell back in those days. But you know, as I said, I'm just I'm thrilled that you're here because you really are somebody that is built this industry. You have you were you've done so many firsts in this business, and I want to talk about all those. And I've got some really cool stuff that I want. I don't think people may or may not know, but there's some pretty cool stories back in the day um, that I want to share with folks, especially with you and the LA City Council. That one's going to be on the table later on. I, I just want you to know I'm teeing that one up already. So get your mind ready because I think this is one of the best stories ever. Um, but I'd like to get started a little bit, and just if you wouldn't, you know, if you wouldn't mind in your own words, just kind of tell everybody your journey. And kind of who you know where you are today, where you came from, and we'll get into the Lano and all the fun stuff as well. So okay, well, thank you. Um, I am a farmer's granddaughter, daughter, and wife. I got my start driving tractor at ten years old in Delano, California. Exactly. And when I left to go to school, I went to UC Irvine and turned that tassel. I thought, boy, Delano is in my rearview mirror. But guess what happened um, after? you know, wanting to seek a career in broadcasting, I was pulled back to the produce industry. And I think it just, there's something about what we do in um, growing and selling healthy lifestyles through produce that was really a draw for me. So my first career uh, job, real job, which was a salary, which, which actually I thought meant something more than it did, but it was just a lot of crazy hours. I think I made $1,600 a month. Woo, I thought I really had made it. That, so I, I, I did the same thing. I got my first salary job and thought I was just king shit of the world. Same as you, 400 bucks a week, 400 bucks a week, just <laughs> cutting a fat hog. 
Boy, what a fucking dumb idea that was. <laughs> we had no idea. Now we just meant you had to work more hours and you didn't get paid for them. No. <laughs> so it was on the 7th Street Market working for Frida's and, um, you know, six in the morning on the national sales desk and, you know, walking that terminal market in the morning to see all the fresh uh, jobbers selling fresh produce. But we were unique. We were a specialty produce company and Frida and Karen were two uh, mentors that I could never stop thanking because I learned so much. I learned how to sell. I ne- learned how to describe produce over the phone. Yeah. I learned how to sell something that maybe nobody even knew that they wanted, which was specialty produce. And I think at the end of the day, what that led me to was the knowledge of how to market and promote produce. And so from there, when I um, got married and moved back to Delano, here I am, I'm back. I'm uh, a member of a great growing family that, oh, by the way, had I had a brother-in-law that wanted to grow things differently and painted an ecology sign on our water tower and said, we're going organic. And I had to ask, what does that mean? And that was it. It was kind of like the rest is history at that point. Well, I'm going to dive into that. We're going back in history a little bit. I want to dive into a little bit because, you know, Delano, you, you grew up in a farming community. You want to talk about a place where the epicenter of grapes in this world are. You want to talk about unions. You want to talk about the business. You want to talk about it. That's the, that's the focal point right there. But you grew up on a farm and, you know, learning values like that, farming values, which I think is actually something that we should probably teach in school, farming values. I think it probably aid a lot of people in better understanding their food supply. But, you know, those values really weren't a choice. It was a lifestyle that you were born into. To your point, you're driving a tractor at 10, right? There's not many kids driving a tractor at 10, especially in today's world. So tell a little bit about those early values, because I think those probably is a lot of what propelled you forward as we expand into Karen and, and Frida's and all these other things um, as well. But, you know, how was that passion for ag put into you, you know, put into your heart like that? Well, thank you. Uh, you know, great question. Um, I think part of it. Oh, by the way, my questions don't suck. And that's the very first one. Just wait. They get better. <laughs> they only get better. Thank you. Well, I have to say that it probably started with my ethnic background. I come from an immigrant family of uh, uh, Greeks uh, that migrated at the turn of the century. And uh, so here we are in Delano, California. My father, after post-World uh, War II, bought this land after having farmed in the Lancaster area in Delano, California, and started his own farming operation and brought his parents from Lancaster up. And so the, you know, having my grandparents right there on the farm, watching them work, watching my parents work, um, and watching how they treated farm workers. You know, it was, I was taught early on, you treat people the way that you want to be treated. And, um, you know, hard work, Saturdays was not about cornflakes and cartoons. It was tractor driving or it was, you know, uh, in the grape vineyards. Um, So we learned early on to have a great work ethic. I got a paycheck. It was minimum wage at that time. Who knows what that was, $2.50 an hour, but I got my paycheck. So it taught me about saving and capitalism, but it also taught me about everybody on the farm works and we work hard and we provide, you know, uh, a great product to to consumers. So that that was early, really early um, ingraining in how to um, how to survive, actually. Yeah. 
Well, I, and I'm 100% positive that that is exactly why you are who you are and what you have done in the trajectory of your career. I firmly believe that having having not been grown, you know, coming up in, in a farm family, having coming up in a different background, but then moving into this environment that I was in in my you know early, early 20s, uh, I get it. Um, I've seen it. I've been around enough farming families to understand that heritage, that pride, that legacy, that sense of if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. We have nobody to depend upon ourselves. Um, and I know that, that that tenacity that you had back when you were a spring chicken running around causing trouble for your mom and dad, which I'm sure you quite, I'm sure you did. Um, just absolutely, because I know you well enough to know that I'm sure that you did. Um, it, it's just inspiring. And I think that you, as we talk about your trajectory and your career, people are going to go back and I think hopefully hold that moment of that upbringing in your, in, in, you know, that you shared as we, as we progress through your career. And one of the areas that I'd like to talk about next, I think is super cool to me is, is Frida Kaplan and, and of course, Karen as well. But, you know, I had the good fortune of meeting Frida very, very early in my career. And one of the things that impressed me more than anything about that lady, not only the things that she's done, I mean, I, the accolades can go on and on, but I saw her intermittently here and there. And I saw, met her and, and had some interactions. I saw her several years later. I mean, in the middle of nowhere, and she remembered my name. And it, it's just like, all right, I got to get that good. And I still suck at it. No, get me wrong. But I mean, I got to get that good. And she was so inspiring. What made them so special to you? Well, I think that's it. I think the work ethic was incredible. You know, Frida had a toothbrush in the bathroom, which meant there were several nights that she spent the night there because after she sold all day, she made sure that the accounting was correct and make sure that, you know, the product that was coming in looked good and make sure she met customers, you know, that started at midnight walking. So she was, she was endless bundle of energy. I don't know how she made it by sleeping only a few hours every night. So her tenacity really was infectious and watching her, how she um, promoted, you know, she was never one to push things on, but she would motivate you and she would have facts on, you know, let me rent space in your, in your produce shelf and let me show you that there's a consumer out there that wants this product and let me help you by labeling it and right. talking about the product. But also Karen never forgot a birthday. She had a Rolodex with, you know, she was the, the original uh, customer relationship management. She could have created that software program long before anybody else came up with it because she knew everybody, every secretary's name, everybody's birthday, how many kids they had. And so they also taught me to really do your homework before you pick up the phone. And one of the things I also learned was grab the sports page and read the front page of the sports page before you call because guess what? Most of the buyers were men and most of, most of them had a favorite sports team. So I would know when I called Chicago, I talked about the bears <laughs> or if right. I called New York, you know, I'm talking about the jets and, you know, do your homework when it's football season or baseball season. So I yeah. say that she really, you know, they, they worked hard in every aspect of their business, but one was really to know that customer and know what their hot points are, knew what their desires were, and tried to meet and satisfy those needs on a daily basis. Well, 100% agree. And I know that cutting my teeth and being a part of that environment, it's its what I still believe in today. And it's what I preach and teach today. I, I agree with you. These computer software programs are nowhere near one-on-one -on -one relationships and one-on-one -on -one investment of time and energy and effort into another person. Whether you're selling produce or whether you're just talking to your neighbor, that time and energy investment is what wins the day every time. Uh, it's not about POs. And I think we learned that. I learned that early on. It's not always about the PO, right? And, and I, was, I always think of a quote that 
the the great wise uh, soothsayer out there, Mr. Weinstein says, so sometimes you make more money on the produce you don't sell than the produce you do sell. And I love that. And it's true. And I think that that to your point, you, you exemplify that, that, you know, it is about building those relationships. And it's about that willingness to be a part of a conversation above and beyond shucking produce, right? And I think it's so important. So to that point, there's a great example. Um, through NutriClean, which was the yeah. scientific certification, mm -hmm. uh, there was a retailer that started it um, with, um, with NutriClean, and it was called Rayleigh's. Rayleigh's had done zero business with us, and grapes were one of the items that they chose through NutriClean, and they were forced to do business with me. So the first time the buyer called me, he said, I want you to know that I hate you. And I said, well, we can only go up from there. <laughs> Why do you hate me? He goes, because you've taken away my buying power. And I said, okay, well, I, I see what you're saying. It wasn't me. It was NutriClean. But let me tell you what I will do. I will find out everything I can about your business. And I will help you be as successful as possible, knowing that you don't have another place to go. So why don't we do this together? And right. a year later, when he had to write his report on how we had done, he called and he apologized to me. And he said, I owe you an apology. And I said, well, what? He said, I was wrong. Not only did you make me more successful, my bonus was higher this year because we sold more grapes. So what is their dominant motive? Their mo His motive was to be more successful so he could bring more money home to his family. And we helped satisfy that. So Absolutely. So he didn't hate me anymore. But I tell you, I had to work so hard on that account because I started from I hate you. <laughs> this episode of Toddversations is brought to you by Organics Unlimited and Grow Brand Bananas, the most responsible banana you'll ever meet. Learn more at organicsunlimited.com. I want to talk about that trajectory that, that we both took back in that day. But I, I, before I get there, I want to keep framing up the Favage thing a little bit. I want to get into the grape thing a little more because I want to set the table for, for that specific conversation. But you're right, you know, going in and back then trying to think about how to go to market was really like, how do I come alongside you? How do we work together? How do we do this? Well, it's not, you know, just because you want something at $10 doesn't mean you should get something at $10. Like what is the longer term play? And I don't think people actually thought about that in a lot of ways. I think, you know, you led up that charge with that forward thinking about, you know, it's not about today's PL. It's what's the end game for us. And I think that's an important lesson for people to remember. Well, exactly. And, you know, what is the halo effect of having organic in your produce department? Well, we didn't know the answer to that early on. And so there were mm -hmm. surveys that were done by retailers and they came back and said, guess what? We have great news. The halo effect is if you have organic in your produce department, that means that you have taken the time and effort to buy the, the best quality conventional pro produce that you could buy. Well, guess what? I took that information and I marched across the U.S. saying, guess what? Organic is good for your business, and let me tell you why. Why? Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about you know Pavage and its and and that label and and building that. You know, you met Tom and and and, and the family, and and you became a part of the team, part of the family, obviously. Um, and that partnership was really set in motion. I think um, you know, really catapulting, getting the word organic. You know, and I think that's the big thing. I, you know, yes, it's about grapes, and that was the backbone, but it was really the word that I actually think probably had the biggest impact, right? Because, you know, for pe people are going to forget a grape in some ways, not to be mean to great people, but people are going to forget a grape, but nobody's forgot the word organic. And I think that's something to kind of lean towards. 
Well, I think what happened was, you know, you're right. Produce goes through your refrigerator too fast for brand recognition until packaged salads and one pound carrots came into the marketplace. You know, grapes, grapes were in a plastic bag. So there was a little bit of marketing and then there were mm-hmm. paper totes that we did with organic, which gave you a little bit of branding. But for the most part, what we did was we put these tiny little stem tags on every stem and it said these sunshine grapes were grown naturally for you to enjoy. Well, all of a sudden we started getting consumer letters and that was the Frida concept get the consumer letter and then take that consumer back to the retailer and say consumers are talking to us and are saying thank you for doing this purchase well you know Kroger started yelling at me you know it's like darn it you know you put those darn stem tags on so now I have to buy a certain amount of organic grapes for my customer in Livonia Michigan and it's like it's okay it's not going to hurt the regular conventional order just it's going to enhance and say right. that you have, you know, you are servicing each customer one-on-one relationship marketing. How powerful is that? Yeah. What, you know, thinking about that and that kind of being in that space of really kick, because let's say it's kicking indoors. That's, let's just call it that. Cause that's really what it was. It was door king because I remember picking up the blue book. And for those that know what that was or used to be, it was a giant phone book of everybody that was in this business. I remember sitting day after day, picking up a name, calling, begging, next guy flip a page, did that for a lot of years, trying to build, you know, what we ended up trying, you know, what we ended up building over on the Cal Organic side. But what did you learn, you know, at that moment? It's kind of a two-part question. I'll let you run with it any way you want. But, you know, when you think about the industry back then, what did you learn that was good? And then what did you learn that was bad about the industry? Because well, I know that that changed you moving forward. And that's where I'm kind of leading us down this trail. Sure. Well, cold calling was my was my middle name, too. I definitely, it actually, it was funny. I had to teach Albert Lusk what the Blue Book was. He wanted to, he wanted to buy product and wasn't a member of the Blue Book. So that was pretty funny. Um, but I will tell you, the cold calling taught me a lot. It taught me never give up. Don't take no for an answer. No is just a yes that hasn't been fully developed yet, you know, and and keep going. And, you know, I would get yelled at, you know, I don't deal with women. Stop calling me. I have a great relationship, you know, fill in the blank brand X. And I would say, hey, that's wonderful. But if there's ever an opportunity or if there's a variety, variety I have that they don't have or a window where they are short on supply, here's my number. I want you to remember me. And after a while, those things just started clicking. But what really turned the tide, and we'll get to that, is when, you know, uh, innovators like Harold Alston. So one of the good things is there are forward thinking people in this produce industry that stepped up and said, I think I am losing my customers to this store called Bread and Circus in Boston. I understand you're who I need to be talking about with organics. Can you come and talk to me? It's like, I'll be right there. And Harold Alston was the Pennzoil of his day. When he talked, everybody listened. And and that's what started it and really gave me that door opening. Well, did you know that I'm selling Harold Alston, Dick Spazano of Bonds? You are. You know, so all of a sudden I had street cred. Right. No. Yeah, I get it. And you, you brought up something and I want to touch on it a little bit. It was a male dominated industry, very much so back in the 80s. I mean, very much. In fact, you know, I cut my teeth walking the street, the, the LA wholesale produce market for a long time back then. And I got to be honest with you, I cannot recall in my mind, I don't think there was any females walking the market doing any kind of buying back then. It was all guys. No. And here you come in kicking doors. And to your point, you ran into a lot of bullshit from 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 the male population out there. Like, what the who are you? No. 
you know, which is just crazy to me. But nonetheless, you 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 bumped your head a few times into that. Can well, you comment like, on it? Yeah, just like there's no crying in baseball, there's no crying in produce. And I remember my one of my favorite stories is I am in Chicago. I'm in a meeting with a large retailer. I think this is their time. They're all wearing black suits with thin black ties, smoking cigarettes, looking up in the air, completely ignoring me. And when I got done with my presentation, uh, the director stood up, put his hand on my tush and said, looked at his watch and he goes, this is a meat and potatoes kind of town. Got time for a cocktail? And I took his hand off my butt and I said, you're not ready, but here's my card when you are call me. And I went in my car and I drove all the way back to the Chicago O'Hare airport crying, going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. A year later, that same gentleman called me and he said, Tonya, Tanya, <laughs> I Tanya. Think yeah, I, you're the one I need to talk to about organic. Get in here. There's this company called Whole Foods that's just moved into town. It's like, yes. So I drove back. Everybody is wearing a shirt like you're wearing today, Todd, you know, sports shirt. They're writing copious notes. And I made a comment about being there a year before. And one of the buyers said, you've never been here. And I go, oh, I thought it was more memorable than that. I'm sorry. But he went back into his office and came back with my card. And I said, it's okay. You weren't ready, but you're ready now. So let's talk. And let's talk. And we did over a million dollars that next year in business. And because it was Chicago, they went, they had to write a special report to make sure they weren't on the take. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's a whole other broadcast we could talk about. <laughs> we, so, yeah, we that's, all... that's the ugly part. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You brought up something earlier, and I don't, I don't want to be remiss in not bringing this up. And I think that um, Stephen Pavage, Steve Pavage, is really uh, somewhat underappreciated in a lot of ways about what he's done for the organic movement, especially early on. Especially being, you know, he really was in a lot of ways. He he took a lot of risks. He said. We're going to throw this shingle up on the front porch, like it, don't like it, tough shit. We're going to do it. And can you just touch a little bit about his journey and his growing pains? Because I think he's worthy. I think he's worthy of the accolades. You're absolutely right. Thank you. Uh, Steve Pavich is one of what I call O pioneers that stepped out ahead and put, staked a claim that said, I'm not going to grow the way everybody else is growing. And, you know, he, but he also was aware that, you know, you can't blame the conventional farmer. The tools that were given to them is what they were taught. And mm -hmm. so what he did is he went and did research through his friend Amigo Bob and a few of the other oak pioneers to look at things like uh, sustainable farming in China in those days where the fertility was multi-generational. And what is it that they're doing? that we're not doing. And a lot of it was they didn't have the conventional post-World War II chemicals that we were given as these quick, you know, beneficial uh, products, but not looking at long-term detriment mm -hmm. to the soil. Right. So, and we're going to go back and we're going to look at old-fashioned farming techniques and we're going to utilize them. So we went to his dad and, his, and Steve Pavich, being one of those old senior, being one of those old conventional farmers said, okay, what I'll do is I'm going to give you a 20-acre block. And if you're successful on that, we can double it and we can triple it. So, you know, this was in the late 70s. And when I joined Pavich in 83, Three, we had too many organic grapes for the market. We were selling the um, co-ops, natural mom and, you know, mom and pops, the wholesalers, David Weinstein, you know, the gang, veritable vegetable. But beyond that, you know, that's when I came in and said, let me help you, Steve, take it to retail. And that's right. how we worked so well together. But he also didn't just stop with his own farm. He wanted the community be to be organic. So he helped, you know, write the National Organic Program 
with Kathleen Merrigan. And so he also had to become, you know, politically active. And, you know, he had, you know, he would take a lot of hits and people would make a lot of fun of him and talk behind his back. But you know what? Um, he never, he never gave up and his tenacity helped my tenacity that we were doing the right thing. And so yeah. you're right. a lot of credit is due. And as people, the smarter people watched him versus poo pooed him. And, you know, here we are today. Yeah, no, and thank you for sharing that. I just think, I think he's, again, I think he's worthy of the conversation um, because, you know, look, he blazed the trail, you know, and I think about this, you know, and it, it, what if, what if he hadn't done it? What if you guys would have just been slinging the same old hash out of Delano, you know, and never would have made that right turn or, or followed that path? What would what would it have been like? And, you know, you brought up something about, you know, the, the, the adding the chemicals to the world. You know, people forget in a lot of ways that it wasn't very long ago that the entire world farmed organically. Right. <laughs> so this is not like some revelation that just somebody woke up one day and said, oh, shit, we can do this differently. It's like, no, actually, we're having to go back and rethink. You know, because what what we've accepted as being now the new norm is really not in our best interest. Uh, you know, when you use the word, it, it's it's probably not harmful. That's that's usually not a word I want to associate with the word harmful. Right. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to me. And again, I just I appreciate you going with that. And I just think it's important that we lift folks up like Steve and what he did, because what if he wouldn't have done it? Well, we were already seeing things. We were seeing some of the soil in the San Joaquin Valley up there, the Delta, that was already uh, not farmable. So there right. was already the early canary in the coal mine that was telling us that maybe what we were doing wasn't right. And things like DDT and some really nasty stuff started to be, you know, highlighted, you know, and where is the Ralph Nader of yesteryear? We don't have a Ralph Nader right no. now. No, and we don't. He, you know, he was also one that, you know, was ringing the bell that we are already seeing some environmental issues. But again, I don't fault the conventional farmer. You know, he was listening to Hank, the farm advisor, who was listening to the fertilizer guy, you know, and so we were being sold on these were the, you know, quick fixes to improve yields and improve quality and get more product to be shippable across the East Coast, you know, to the East Coast. So, you know, those are the things that, you know, Steve said, wait a minute. You know, right. there's got to be there's got to be a better way. And, um, yeah, I, I honor him for that. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, you know and I, cheap has a hidden cost. And I think as we try to do things when it, when it comes to our food, I just I firmly believe and I, and I understand the economic pressures. I get all this. I don't, you know, get on the bandwagon of the economy. I understand. But cheap has a hidden cost. And when we start jeopardizing our food, which is literally feeding our bodies, which we need every day to survive, um, I, it starts to concern me. You know, when we start to cut corners, we start to do things, you know, I always say that I think you're better off. You're always going to win when you work with Mother Nature. I firmly believe you're going to lose when you work against her. Absolutely. She's going to win. I don't care. I don't care how big your shoulders are. You want to arm wrestle Mother Nature. She's going to kick your ass. She has. She has for millions of years. Right. And we saw during COVID when everybody stayed home and wildlife started moving into communities there, you know, Mother Nature has a way of rebuilding itself we just need it and you see how clean the air was in los angeles when there were no cars on the road cars, yeah. so all we have to do is give mother nature a chance and 100 do its thing and one of the ways we can do that is by having more farmland in organic uh, agriculture i agree you know talking earlier a little bit you know we we're talking a little bit about what it was like um 30 years ago. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to even think that far back. back then. Let's go back with that. It makes us, it makes me feel a little bit younger. Um, but you know, people thought 
that, you know, organic was just this fringe, hippie, co-op, perjuli oil, you know, sell a little produce, grow a little pot type movement, you know, and it really turned into becoming this movement into a real program. And it's, and it's interesting when you think about the, the timeline and this model and how it was built. So how do you think like the, the criticism of way back then, 30 years ago, shaped what organic has become today? Well, I think part of that is true. I think there was a fringe uh, counterculture community that did initially introduce organic into the marketplace. And I think that's why it played so well in the small natural food industry and the cooperatives and very East Coast, West Coast. But when, you know, farmers like Pavich that were also conventional and in my case, user friendly to the conventional retailer, I think that's really what kind of changed the tide and gave uh, a comfort to retailers to take a look at it. But I also think it comes from who I was, which was a young mother. And if you look at when um, people enter the organic category as consumers, oftentimes it's a young mother that wants to do something right by their children mm -hmm. and feed them yeah. a healthy diet. And when they see that organic is an option, the light bulb goes off and they're saying, wait a minute, if I can, if I can feed my children a healthy organic option, why wouldn't I? But guess what? I want to shop in my Hy-Vee supermarket and, or I want to shop in my public supermarket. And so the consumer letter came and said, you know, I, I went to Florida on vacation and I found organic in Publix, but I don't have it in Omaha. Can you help me? And so I would take that to Omaha and say, can we help her? And, you know, this was just it, a lot of it was grassroots, you know, moms and moms are not hippies. Moms are just trying to do right by their families. And so I think yeah. that was the bridge for me, the connectivity from these, you know, everybody we knew at Eco Conference. You know, you guys may be the best growers in the world, but you're not user friendly and trying to get in front of the retailer. So that's when you and I created Ambrosia Produce. Yeah. And let us take all of your best crops and through yourself and Scott and myself, you know, having a retail connection, we created a heck of a business model because we were user friendly to the general public. Right. Well, I think that's what won the day. I think the fact that, you know, when I look back at, at following the path that was in front of me and carving, you know, creating the brand that we did, you know, again, it was just about it wasn't about me. It was about us. And I think that's how I walk into every meeting. Like, how do we win the day? What, it, because if you don't understand my pain points, if you do, if I can't come in and say, this is my, this is why I can't do this or why I can do that. And how does that fit for your model? We're never going to get the ball down the field. We've lost a lot of that in today's world, this transactional nature, this, this, you know, we want to be better, but you know, ultimately we want to be cheaper. Um, and that's dangerous as well, because again, cheap, you know, cheap has a hidden cost. Um, yeah. But I do believe that that some of that is lost a little bit out there today with this, with, which is why I love these conversations with folks like yourself, because I think it's important to remind folks that, you know, this ladder was built with a very strong first step and every ladder has to have a first step that's strong. And after that, it can be a little wobbly, but you've got to build your business with a strong platform. You know, Sorry. Todd, I think back, um, everybody needed something in that equation. The retailer needed organic. They didn't know how to do it. I had the organic, the retailer's ear, but I didn't know how to package all of the different commodities that went along with us. Right. You had the access to all the smaller growers that had the commodities. So with your knowledge of that and the logistics part of it, my 
ability to get the PO and the order and the retailer's ability to put it on the shelf. You know, we had a trifecta, but Mm -hmm. none of us could have done it alone. And so to know that it took a family of companies to put this together. And at that time, I don't think a lot of people know, but we did 100% of Stop and Shop, HEB in Texas, and Vaughn's Supermarkets Organic Business. That was huge. And everybody was watching that. And that led to other retailers coming on board. And that was quite magical in those days. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have to ask this because I I lived it. I've seen it. This is, I I consider this to be one of the best brand moments of my career that I got to to participate. Not participate, I didn't do shit, but that I got to walk. Will you please share the story about you going down to the LA City Council meeting and what you did? Because I just think it's such a baller move. Well, it got handed to me. It got put in my lap. The California Table Grape Commission was told that on the agenda of LA City Council was going to be a conversation about boycotting table grapes um, for the rest of the season. And the reason behind that was, was because the Teamsters and the UFW were going to go in and pitch their story that there were five very toxic chemicals on all table grapes in the United States and that we should boycott them because it's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And boycott by city council, that means school districts, all government buildings. It was going to be a huge amount of business that the um, table grape industry was going to lose. So, but we were in the middle of peak season and nobody seemed to have the time or willingness to get in their car and drive to LA. So I don't know, randomly, I get a call from Bruce Obing, who is running the Table Grape Commission and it's Tonya, can you go and help uh, be the alternative to this fight on the agenda? I said, sure. Okay, no problem. I'll go down there. So I walk in and here's this row of Teamsters with the AFL-CIO jackets on, big, big ex-NFL players, huge. And then... (laughs) You've got all the UFW people sitting there and and it's like, and there's Tonya. And I was like, oh, shoot. So, um, and I'm listening to their pitch and I said, you know what? I agree with them. They're absolutely right. There are these five particular potential pesticides that are on all these things. But so when it was my turn to speak, I walked up to the dais and I said, thank you so much for your time. I have the answer. I said, we have 100% certified organic table grapes. We are a small family owned and operated company that's very hands-on with our workforce. Um, we do not use any of the five that you have listed. We are the answer to your prayer. And actually, we'll turn that around a little bit. You can tell everybody that by having organic grapes in the LA area that you're you're offering a healthy, a healthy alternative. Like, they take the vote, the gavel goes down, and only organic grapes will be sold in the county of Los Angeles for however that, till the end of the season. And then I'm like, oh shoot, how am I going to get to my car? Yeah. <laughs> Teamsters, the UFW. So let me tell you, I think I made land speed record back to my car. <laughs> and that's the last time I've been to Los Angeles. <laughs> and I, I turned on the radio and they announced it. It was like, and Bruce Obink called me. He goes, what the hell did you do? I go, you know what? There's no such thing as zero grapes in LA. I did my job, Bruce. Yeah. Suck it up. I love <laughs> it. That's such that's such a great story. Thank you for sharing that. It's really, truly one of my I'll, I. I can remember, I, I, yeah, I can remember it vividly. I was it's just shaking like, in my boots, let me tell you. What? It's a, you can you couldn't come up with a better script than that. I want to shift gears and, and fast start going forward a little bit and talk about uh, Earthbound and talk about your involvement there. Um, 
because, you know, Earthbound was around, you know, Earthbound came about and literally you went as expected, full Autobahn, all in, let's go. And you really did build an iconic brand. Um, and I want to talk about the brand a little bit, but before I do that, I just, again, I, I got to give another shout out because uh, two people that I think are fantastic that, you know, I, I appreciated and learned so much from, especially Drew, but Drew and Myra Goodman, I mean, what amazing folks they are. Can you just touch upon them just to touch on how great they are? Yes. I mean, I can't take all that credit. This if We had an amazing team. So I joined in late um, October of 1998. But prior to that, you know, we had all seen each other at trade shows and we had this mutual respect for one another. And Drew and Myra were building a company based on packaged salads that they had created. And we were doing all the commodity side. And there were, you know, Myra would always come by the booth and she would compliment me on our newsletter or the penetration we were getting. And boy, you know, everybody. And I, I wish I had a Tonya. And so it was so cute. So when the time and opportunity, when life threw me a curveball and yeah. had to make a change, I reached out to her and she said, oh, my gosh, come up and let's talk. And literally we sat down for my interview was eight hours. I kid you not, Todd. But let me tell you what a lot of it was, was going through my resume and everything that I have done. And Myra going, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I hate doing this. You can do that. <laughs> and so we created this, uh, you know, title for me. It was, you know, vice president of organic sales. They didn't even have it because at the time we were doing both conventional and organic. Mm -hmm. And there were about $60 million in sales, which is still fabulous. Yeah, But um, we started marching across the U.S. And the first PMA that we went to in New Orleans together, I, I was feeling so great about it because every retailer that I knew and I had been on the PMA board. So it was the who's who marching through our booth, congratulating me on joining Earthbound, congratulating Drew and Myra on having Tonya as part of the team. And Myra just goes, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing. You know, everybody. And I said, yeah, I said, I, you know, I'm one of those 1K people, stupid me, but but yay. <laughs> Ah. So use me. So we marched forward, and um, I left the company in 2010 when we sold to a group of investors, and we were close to a half a billion dollars in sales. Yeah. So my big, my most prideful moment is when we did a um, an analysis, and we were in eight out of every ten supermarkets in the United States with at least one stock keeping unit. We were everywhere. And I walked into Drew's office and I said, I've reached my goals to be available and affordable to consumers across the country. And we're in Walmart and we're in Whole Foods and we're in everywhere in between being an eight out of every 10 supermarkets. I don't think second to Coca-Cola and, you know, um, Heinz ketchup. I don't think there were many brands, especially in the produce department no. uh, that could say that. And so that's really our pathway. And yes, we were exhausted and yes, we worked hard, but you know what? There's uh, and timing was there too. And it was just a trajectory. We were on a rocket ship. It was so no doubt. Such cool. Book. I can remember when they came up with their first package salad and they brought it, they, sh they brought it to show us in the office back up in, in, in Watson, up in Moss Landing of all places. And it was this little header on the top in green and white. 
And my feeble mind remembered, but it was almost like it was like somebody just took a Sharpie and just like, okay, we're going to draw pictures. It was really something I'd love to see a copy of one of those or have one of those. I think that. Yeah. It was hand drawn by Myra. Yeah. It was was homegrown all the way. And, you know, that was because they'd gotten fired by a chef in Carmel Valley with their spring mix and a new chef had come in and wanted iceberg. And so she sent, she created this label and sent Drew out to sell it so that they could, they could make payroll on Friday. (laughs) When you when you think about the similarities of, you know, what you did there at Earthbound and then thinking back about what you did, you know, with the Pavage brand, what um, what are the differences in, in building those brands? Was there any or did you did you kind of feel like your path just led you just to be, you know, ready to roll as you walked into that? Yeah, I think so. I think my connections definitely helped. I think that um, packaged salads was um, we sold more of a storyboard and display. So I think as far as the visibility of brand building was much better to do at Earthbound because we could tell a bigger story. Um, You know, it was a divide and conquer. Myra spent 100% of her time on consumer marketing and I was on trade marketing. So we had this great synergy between the two of us on how we took the product to market. Um, There's more profitability in packaged salads. And so there was more marketing dollars there to be spent. So I just think I had a lot more tools at earthbound and the team was larger and smarter and um so i just you know instead of being a one-man band we had an amazing team and we had regional managers so i just think the whole thing together made it um not going to say easier but i mean Mm -mm. we had bigger access to market by having the team that we had well i think the industry was right too i think you know i I think it was well teed up I i think that all of a sudden everybody woke up one day and went oh shit we better get this you know this was starting to become to your point eight out of ten it was becoming everywhere it was becoming i i think that the mentality changed to if i don't have this it's going to be a mistake well i think some of the retail mindset and one of the biggest changes of course the catalyst for positive change was the national law so we were part of the 1990 farm bill we were announced that it was going to go into implementation in 2000 we were in full national organic program for organic standards in 2001 well guess what that did that created you know spending in the category like no business confidence in the category multi-state operators were picking up organics because they didn't have to worry about 33 different definitions and so timing is everything and that's the one that took us all to the next level yeah for sure what do you think now you know you go to the grocery store what do you think now when you walk in you see your friend on the shelf well i mean how do you feel about it oh my god i have a hard time not being a karen i want to sit there and go now why did you now why did you buy the organic um arugula spinach mix why didn't you try the this blend and you know oh now tell me why you picked up that cabbage blend so here i'm trying to do these post-surveys and these people looking at like who the heck are you so um you know and i'm still flipping labels so i can't help myself in you know, if I could have had, okay, I know that the ultimate branding is when people tattoo themselves with a Harley Davidson tattoo. I told Myra, if I ever had a tattoo, which I wasn't going to ever have, it would have been the Earthbound brand. That's how much I felt about this brand. And I told Drew, I said, if there was another chapter in us and you called me up and said, Tonya, get off the shelf, we're going back to work. I'd say, when do you want me? Um, so, you know, that call, that call ain't happening. I know it's not, and it's okay. I don't want, honestly, I don't want it to happen. I, I want to shoot in the 90s on my golf game. So, um, but I will tell you that I can't help myself. I still do store checks. It just is in me. Well, yeah, I, I'm I'm the same way. I'm I'm I I walk in if I go grocery shopping, 
um, you know, the wife and I go grocery shopping. I go this way and she goes that way and I walk through the whole department and I'm just, yeah, it's a, it's a bad. And, you know, for me, it's in some ways it's, it's not worse, but you know, both my kids are in the business. I have one that's on the buy side and I have one that's on the sell side. So I know I say it all the time. It's like, you know, my wife will get all the credit for them being super smart. I'll get all the blame for them being in the produce business. But so now it's like, you know, now I'm looking at different things because they, they buy or they sell or whatever. So yeah, it's in, well, it's like this business. It gets in your blood, right? What else, what else do you, what else would you be doing other no, than this? Right. I, I you know? said that. Can you imagine selling something like cigarettes? Uh, it's like, no, uh, you know, we were selling lifestyle. We were selling health. We're selling, get out of the center of the store, get into the produce department, um, you know, just eat, you know, lower on the food chain. You know, it's just, you know, the perimeter of the store is where people shop. They smell it. They see it. They, you know, they live it. And I think what does the future look like as the Amazon um, effect is happening and the center store is Drinking, we're going to see the perishable department flourishing. And mm-hmm. guess what? That's where produce is going to happen and more organic produce. And, uh, you know, I'm, I feel pride when I walk in the store, when I see organic throughout every segment. I, I just feel like we had a little bit of yeah. something to do with it. And we should be proud of it. We were there. Yeah, I mean, because there was nothing. I mean, you know, I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, you walk in, it was zero. And now you walk in and it's 65% or it's 50%. And it's so well represented. And it's so awesome that we can allow people to make a choice for themselves and invest in their future, invest in their health, invest in the planet, you know, and invest in something different um, and vote with their dollars. Because I think it's incredibly powerful. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about the tomorrow part of all this and the future part of this, because, you know, having the perspective that you have um, puts you in a very unique position to go, I get this. And I better understand what perhaps is going to happen tomorrow. And so I want to talk about that a little bit, you know, about some of the things that are really going to shape the forces that are be and and things are going. And and some claim and some talk about, and I'm happy to go as deep as we want to go on this, that organic is moving away from its quote unquote core beliefs. Um, And that, you know, in some way, the movement's become a little bit elitist. It's become a little bit tone deaf in some ways about the fact that really it's about the food and it's about feeding people good food while helping to save the planet and helping to make a difference in the planet. So I want to ask, so it's a big broad frame up to this question. And and what are your feelings and impressions today about the organic industry? Well, my first um, thought is, thank God we have the USDA and we have the national organic program as the umbrella agency that monitors who we are and gives us that powerful USDA seal, which we are the only produce item that has the USDA seal. That is extremely powerful. You know, that is the uh, good housekeeping seal that nobody else can have. So I would say because we have the NOP and we've got the USDA, we have a watchdog group that continues to not only protect and promote the brand, but also monitor and create an opportunity for conversation on how do we take it to the next step? How do we evolve to meet the needs of the consumer and of the marketplace? And one of the ways we do that, as you know, is we have the National Organic Program, which has a, an advisory council. And this advisory council is made up of farmers. 15. 
advisor, uh, advocates, uh, consumers, you know, you know, political people. I just this whole realm of what it takes. Some of the material people that bring on product line like uh, biological materials. So here's this great group that every year looks at and and analyzes. What are some of the tools that we should keep? What are some of the tools that we should eliminate? What are some of the categories that we should be discussing? I mean, years ago when we first started, we didn't have organic um, beauty products and we didn't have organic sheets. And we, you know, so all these categories have grown because of the opportunity to have the National Organic Standards Board and have the OT, have um, National Organic Program, look at and revise and review. So I think we have a great program already in place. We can always make it better. Um, and I think that one of the things that we've been looking at is protected agriculture, uh, which is, you know, product that's grown indoors um, and is it grown in a container is it grown in water is it grown in air is it grown in you know black light whatever um, mm -hmm. those are things that we have to look at because I think it has additional benefits when it comes to less carbon footprint mm -hmm. and the example I want to use is container grown I think container mm -hmm. grown as long as the medium comes from an organic source there is no reason why container grown should not be considered organic Mm -hmm. um, and I think what that does is when the national cannabis law comes forward and there's a federal cannabis law, we can grow a lot more cannabis close to metropolitan areas indoor and have it closer to market, but have it cleaner, safer. I think a lot of people think that all cannabis is grown out in the wild and all natural, but it's, right. it's really some of it's very toxic. So I think having an organic cannabis law, I know that California is now starting that program is very important, but getting back to just agriculture container grown, grown with an organic peat medium, like for um, hydroponic also, if it comes from an organic source. So I think there's ways around it. If we use our heads and our hearts and say, what's best for the consumer for the product. And, but I know that there's factions, there's the crust of the earth farmers. Right. We should only grow it outdoors. Well, once you put it in a container, I, I disagree. I think if the container is organic, why not? And I think right. that it's got benefits of being, you know, within, if you're in Tennessee, you're with eight hours to the entire Eastern seaboard with product. So cheaper, faster, better, clean. Why not? Yeah. Well, yeah. And thank you. And, and, you know, I, and I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I think that we get into this, this rut of when it comes to ag technology, that's either an and or an or. And I think that's dangerous. Um, and to your point, I mean, what is more to the core of the organic mission than reducing your carbon footprint on food? So if you're telling me that you can grow a nutritious product to, in Tennessee um, that, you know, and, and get it to someplace in less miles, less days, fresh, all these other things. I don't know how that doesn't actually speak to what the true core values are of this industry. And I agree with you. There is this argument back for it. And there's people that have a really hard line in the sand. And I totally respect it. Look, we're not going to survive without dirt farmers. So let's get that on the table. This isn't about one or the other. In my mind, it's about how do we have a conversation focused around common sense and the commonalities that we actually have between both dirt and what's happening in the greenhouses. Now, if you take a look at what's going on just in California alone with water, I mean, you know, we just got the notification in our community that you could, you know, you're down to two days of water, 55 gallons a day per person. I mean, it's coming, right? We've got to be prepared for the, 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 the more the, the people that are coming to this planet. And I always say this and they're coming, by the way, the aliens that are coming. Um, <laughs> but we've got to be ready for that. And if we turn our back and say this is the way it's only going to be, in my opinion, 
Um, I think organic has an opportunity in some ways to get hurt worse by not embracing technology than by raising the bar on technology saying, this is what it needs to be to be this. We are the gold standard. We want to raise the bar to make all of this accountable to a gold standard. And I think that's dangerous because the, the, the things like grown closer to home, 90% less water, no human hands, you know, come up with all the little, uh, you know, all the little uh, uh, comments or statements that you want to put on packaging. Consumers are going to read that. And the thing that I concerns me is that that organic word starts to go farther and farther back in their mind as they rationalize more and more in the front of their mind. And I think right. it's dangerous if we do not come together on this. And I think it's dangerous for all of us that have laid the groundwork out. 30 plus years ago, you know, getting our teeth kicked in and a bunch of nose and getting your butt grabbed in Chicago and and sitting there, you, you know, today trying to turn our back on what eventually is going to be tomorrow because you're not going to you're not going to grow food in the desert in Dubai unless you put it inside of a greenhouse. But why shouldn't they have fresh food? I've been to Dubai. I know what the food looks like. I saw stuff with with Melissa's labels on it from Los Angeles sitting on the racks in organic supermarkets in Dubai. Right. That's a big, that's a long road trip. Well, so, you know, and like I said, there's a lot of different covered grown, you know, and maybe aeroponic doesn't hit, make the grade. That's for the NOP and NOSB to decide. But I think we should at least raise the question and bring it forward. And you're right, not lose those marketing dollars. Because if there is, you know, indoor grown container, that maybe that means it's not getting imported from a foreign country, bring it, you know, this is local, we are currently only 1% of the open ground agriculture in the United yeah. States organic 1%. However, in California, we are 40%. So we know it can be done. This is mostly specialty crop, tree fruit, grapes, you know, everything that you see in the produce department for the most part is uh, grown in California unless it's tropicals. And so we can we can do it 40 percent, but that's still not going to be enough because you can't grow specialty crops in the middle of winter in, in Nebraska. But darn it, you can grow indoor grown. And so I don't see I, I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot by not inviting them to the party. And I agree, Todd. Ag technology is going to be such a big uh, partnership with growing old-fashioned farming techniques with modern technology. It's the perfect marriage, and we need to embrace it. I agree. Look, you know, bottom line, I, I say it all the time. It's about the food, right? That we got to put that up. You know, we 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 keep going. It's it's soil. It's the soil. It's the soil. I get it, but what are we all going to eat? Right. We have to invest in both conversations. And I don't think we're doing a good job of that. And I encourage everybody and I appreciate, you know, my friends at the NOP and the USDA that have given me the good fortune of getting to know them better. I've been on this broadcast a multiplicity of times and being able to talk about some of these things because we need to have common sense conversations if we want to make a difference and stay what I think is the core values of this industry, which is feeding people good food and helping the planet. Correct. Yeah, I, I, cool. I agree a thousand percent. And Thank I think we can do it if everybody just listens. I hope they do. I really do. And, I'm, and I'm, I appreciate you sharing with me your thoughts and having this conversation because I think it's important that we, you know, continue it and we continue to, you know, I'm happy to be a line leader in the conversation. I don't have a line in the sand, right? I, my line in the sand is, is let's, it, it, as soon as you stop having common sense, there's my line in the sand. Moment, right. Right. For me. Well, and I and I'm about more shelf space. So if we can get more yeah. space with organic and you know give a give consumers more options, great. Hey, consum look increasing consumption. I don't know anybody that's in the space that goes, well, that sucks. That's a shitty idea. Let's not do that. Let's have a line in the sand yeah. that doesn't help increase consumption. 
we're not, you know, we're not going to feed the people. And it's sad, but we're not going to feed people living in a, you know, in a farmer's market world today. We could get there. We could work harder at building that and, and bring the food to the, you know, bring the food to your communities. I'm all for it. I think it's great. The most important thing we could do in a lot of this conversation is start to re-educate our children about where their food comes from and why it's important to be invested in it and not just accept the fact that you drive through talking to a plastic box, hand them your debit card and you eat garbage because that's not going to work long term. Nope. So, yeah, thank I've, you for sharing. You're, you're, you're welcome. I remember years ago going to these uh, big meetings and I'd say something about vegetarians and the buyer would laugh and I go, why are you laughing? They are your best customer. They spend more time in your department than regular consumers do. It's they're all crazy vegetarian. It's like, <laughs> do you yeah. hear what you're saying? <laughs> I, I tell you, I, I remember this. It's so funny you bring this up. It just popped into my brain. I remember having this conversation with a buyer years ago about vegetarians. And those exact response was, those people will blow away in a strong windstorm. And I thought, yeah, but they're going to blow away with the money in their pocket to somebody else's store if you don't do something about it. <laughs> yes, we've come a long way. This episode of Toddversations is brought to you by Organics Unlimited and Grow Brand Bananas, the most responsible banana you'll ever meet. Learn more at organicsunlimited.com. Share a little bit, just, you know, you know, a little bit up in the air. What, what, you know, what's, what's, what do you think's in the organic crystal ball? What kind of keeps you up at night when you think about this industry? Ah, oh, it keeps me up at night, you know. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully nothing, but I mean, you yeah. know, at the end. <laughs> yeah, age keeps me up at night. Um, honestly, I just think that, you know, losing any integrity, you know, I think of what NOP mm -hmm. does in protecting, you know, imports and making sure that there aren't cheaters out there because I, my husband used to say, we're always a head, we're a headline away from unemployment. You Absolutely. Know, do not want cheaters out there. And when people see us making money, you know, sometimes there's people that try to cut corners. And so, you know, we have to make sure that everybody's doing their job from, you know, the certifier to the government, to the retailers with good organic retail practices on shelf, you know, just making sure that we are all good stewards all the way through the chain of custody. So the consumer gets the best product possible. And, you know, there's just so many opportunities to screw up along the way. I, you know, I, it concerns me, but I think for the most part, you know, we've got an amazing food system and, um, but you know, things do happen. So I would say, keep the cheaters out. Yeah, that's in it. Yeah. And, and you are, you're right. It's an integrity based system, right? And it's, and it's, people need to remember that. And we need to be, we need to be mindful of that. And we need to make sure that we're doing the right thing to protect that. Because to your point, I think a lot of times the only thing a person truly owns is their integrity. And once you learn that, it's very hard to get back. That's right. And this yeah. industry is notorious for being 100% about integrity. Your word is your bond. Eye, hand, hand, eye contact, a handshake. Yep. And so when you lose that, you're done. 100%. Well, now let's talk about today. Let's talk about, you know, what you're doing, you know, your your spare time now, besides working on your golf game, which we'll talk about. <laughs> we can get into that if you want a little bit. But you got a lot going on. I mean, you're not you're not one to sit around. Well, I know that for a fact, your tenacity is not going to let you do that. So you got a couple of different projects. You got OPS, the Organic Produce Summit, you got OGS, the Organic Grower Summit, and you got OPN, the Organic Produce Network. Right. So talk about a little bit about these and what you're doing. And uh, how this new part-time job has turned into be quite a full-time job. I know. So after 2010, when I took time off from Earthbound, um, 
Matt Seeley, my business partner, came forward and we sat down and we talked about that we thought there was a clear need for a an association or an organization that was 100% focused on information, education, and live events where it was 100% organic. So we right. created the Organic Produce Network, and that has three three concepts. The information is a weekly newsletter called OPN Connect that tells you we have four original stories every week, plus a top five of what's happening in the industry. We have over 19,000 subscribers, and we're always looking for more people to join us. And you can find that on our website at organicproducenetwork.com. And you can simply subscribe. It's free. Um, it's advertised based. And we have a lot of the best brands in the industry advertising and we thank them for that. The education part is we make ourselves readily available to talk to retailers, to any associations, going to conventions, whatever it takes to talk about the state of the industry, the growth, uh, what's happening at FarmGate, uh, what we're seeing as far as, you know, top trends, etc. And just to continue to keep the drumbeat going on the importance of having organic at the forefront of retail and with the proper real estate uh, priced right. And like I talked about, and having the right uh, organic sure. retail practices to keep it safe. Sure. Um, the third is live events. Um, Matt manages the Organic Produce Summit, which is buyers and sellers of branded organic product coming together with retailers to move the needle. And what it does is it really, everybody loves to show because it's so narrowly focused around organic and growing sales. And we bring the best retailers. We, we, you know, they come for free and we um, put them up at the Hyatt Regency. And what we do is we try to collaborate with them to help move the needle forward with any new product development or, you know, growing sales. And then there's also an education component at these shows on what's happening in organics and what they need to be thinking about. Um, and then we took it one step further and said, okay, well, let's go back to the farm. Let's go back to the land and sure. the organic grower summit. And we just finished uh, that last uh, month in December. And where we bring the farmer is the customer and we have all the allied service suppliers that are available through the organic materials review, um, as well as um, and technology and equipment and packaging and everything that it takes for an organic farmer to be successful. And again, we have education sessions, we have keynotes and we have a show floor. Um, and, right. and it's just a great way to network and grow our businesses. And uh, the feedback is always, you know, we go to a lot of shows every year and these are always, because they're so narrowly focused on organic, we really appreciate this because it still is the golden child of the produce department. And for many growers, it's the difference between making profit or, or not. And so it's still a, you know, a bright spot that, you know, we maintain focus on. So that's, yeah. that's our, our short story and we're really love it. we've come a long way we have been in business six years and uh so we'll see what the future brings it's pretty great i mean the show's fantastic and uh it's great that you're giving back and it's great that you're providing a platform um at scale uh to be able to get people to come in i mean it's not so huge that you're lost but it's not so small that you know it's like eh, this yeah. is it's got that right blend that right fit um, and it's incredibly popular. There's no two ways about it. And I'm glad that the, the show, glad that the shows got off in uh, 2021. I'm sure they're going to get off in 2022. Uh, I don't, I, I have no doubts about that. Um, so it's really exciting. What do you think, you know, just kind of 
putting this all together, what we've been kind of talking about, what do you, what do you hope for the future of organic food? Well, I just think continued growth you know, we look at where we Safeway predicted that by 20, I think he said by 2030 or 2035, that more than half of the produce department will be organic. Yeah. And some of the cases we've made it, I think romaine hearts, uh, one pound carrots, I think we're, you know, we're close to that 20%, um, some packaged salads, but we haven't made it across the board. So I think if we filled in that portfolio of product line and we could be half of a produce department, I mean, that's just incredible because what that would mean is extra acreage out of conventional farming. And I, I what I, in my pie in the sky world is that if, yeah. every, if every conventional farmer would open their minds and their hearts to the opportunity to think about organic, and maybe they start small, maybe they start with using some organic materials that are uh, approved by Omri and testing it out on, you know, 10 acres of their land and see the benefits of what that brings to their crop. And then maybe like Steve Pavich, the next year it's 40 acres, then it's 60 or 80 acres. You know, so I would love to see more conventional farmers adopt organic and see that it's not scary and it's not mad science. It's, you know, it's really talking and hearing to hearing the land in the ground and doing something respectful for mother nature. So I think that would be my pie in the sky goal is to I love it. And I, and I want to use the word invite, I, you know, nobody needs to be forced. Um, but I think that, you know, and that's why our show is equal opportunity. We welcome conventional farmers to come and learn about what are the next steps. Sure. Oh, I love that. You know, one of the things about this platform that I, I, I think is to me the, the bottom of the ladder moment for us when we created this and started talking about this um, was about being inspiring and about using having people come on here that are inspirational, people that can give a message, people that can share a story, a chapter, whatever it is in their lives or their business or whatever it might be that, that in some way will touch and uplift people. But I often find that people that come on here that I've asked to come on that I find inspiring, that, that, that feed my heart, um, have people behind them that also feed theirs. So my question to you next is who's inspired you? Well, I'm going to start with my parents. You know, we talked about them early on that they were hardworking folks, but they were a beautiful Greek married couple that loved each other and they were soulmates. And, you know, they worked side by side, but the second they came from the office and walked into the door, they were husband and wife. And they really taught me so much about, you know, relationships and to get involved. And I think they were my first teachers in, you know, get involved in everything. And I was really involved in every activity and running for office and cheerleader and, you know, ahead of the homecoming committee and all that. So I would have to say that they were the first inspirations for me is never give up, keep your head up, be proud, work hard, and it'll pay. Um, and then my second, of course, is my own family. You know, when you raise Boy, when you raise two children, and I have a son and a daughter, and I'm so proud of them. And in spite of us working our crazy asses off and not being there every time and sometimes missing, I remember missing the first spelling bee and my son's first soccer goal. And it's like, gosh, darn it. That. There was there was no reason for me not to be there, except I happen to be in New York or Chicago or whatever. But I look back and in spite of that, what we raised is two successful children. I am so proud of them. And they now are my teachers. And yeah. it's so funny because they pick on me every once in a while. And um, my daughter, no, my son said over Thanksgiving, he goes, Mom, I'm, I'm going to print a T-shirt for you that says all gas, no brakes. 
<laughs> I love it. I love but, it. But he was teaching me that maybe you can do it a different way. Maybe it doesn't have to be all gas, no brakes. And I think the new generation is saying there is a life balance, you know, uh, work balance that we didn't figure out. We weren't that good at it, Todd. And so I think they're going to teach us. So they are my inspiration. And then the love of my life, when your baby hands you their baby, Oh, I tell you, game over. And I have the most beautiful grandchild. Her name is Simone Athena. And every Greek woman in my family has a middle name, Athena, all the way back to my great grandmother. And she is Simone Athena, Athena. And she's a pistol. She's a Sagittarian. And I could already see it. She's only one years old. And she's going to be fun, fun, fun. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. Thank you for sharing. That. I just I just think it's really interesting when you ask people that question. Because I think it's, you know, you, you get some, some of the answers I've got over the 40 broadcasts has been pretty amazing. They've been some pretty cool people that have come back to just, and you hear the story about why it's really kind of cool. Thank you for sharing that. All right. You ready to have a little fun? You ready to mix it up a little bit? You ready? I'm going to put you in the hot seat. You're playing for your little TLC trivia here. You're paying for cash. You don't need your buzzer. You're not playing for cash and prizes. We're not that formal enough. But if you want a buzzer, you can pretend you have them. I'll make the sound in the background. Okay. All right. So what's better, giving a present or receiving a present? Giving. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Is I think that's why? just a, go ahead. No, I believe you already go ahead. Okay. I am at this point in my life where giving back to my community is probably one of my biggest rewards that I can do. And I really focus on young women, first generation farm worker community of ladies that we help uh, pursue their dreams. And a lot of these kids that would have never thought about not getting pregnant or graduating high school are now going on to college. And it's the greatest gift that I can give. All right, you win with that one. I'll give you that one. All right, you're right. Okay, I'm sorry. I, 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 you're right, I'm wrong. Favorite teacher and why? His name was Mr. Gerard. He was my high school teacher, journalism, and he's the one that sent me on the path where I thought I was going to become the next Barbara Walters. And he trusted me with the school car, even though he shouldn't have. And um, he taught me how to sell advertising. And so there's just these small things that I have used through my whole life. Thank you, Gary Gerard. I love that. That's awesome. All right. So here's one for you. Besides a good time and a hangover, what else can tequila do? Make my clothes fall off. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the best question? Good night, everybody. Thanks for being here. Talk to you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Was not expecting that, but I love the answer. That's beautiful. (laughs) No, that's not country western song. I'm kidding. (laughs) I I know, but it's, it's a beautiful answer. Now, here's one for you. Get this. So 80 proof tequila, which is 40% alcohol, which will kill you. I just want you to know or make you have whatever you're going to see that you didn't think you were saying. <laughs> has the right proportion of ethanol to water to create diamonds. And if you evaporate the tequila vapor and you heat it up to over 1400 degrees, you can make a diamond film. How about that? Diamonds, baby, all night long. Okay, then I do want a gift. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I, I, you know what? You figure out how to get the tequila up to 1400 degrees. I'll buy you some Jose Cuero. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Here's a true or false question. You got 50-50 shot on here. Turtles were living on our planet before dinosaurs. Oh, I'm going to say true. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a, such a stupid question. Why wouldn't you go with it? Yeah. Turtles were here 260 million years ago and dinosaurs were 240 million years ago. Wow. How about that? And we need to protect those turtles because they are magnificent. And I, I understand we need to make sure we have room for them to run back to the ocean. <laughs> and to everything. You know, Sorry. I, I'm a huge turtle fan. When I was a kid, my dad was a marine biologist and lived overseas. And one of the things we did is we actually went and protected leatherback turtles. 
And we would go, we'd, we'd park the car. This was in Trinidad off the coast of Venezuela. We would park the car uh, at the entrance to this path in the jungle. We'd hike about two miles from the car in through the jungle. And we'd go to this stretch of beach where the turtles would come up at night. We'd walk in groups of three or four people spaced out about every 10 minutes to keep the poachers from, they would wait till the turtle laid the eggs, take all the eggs, kill the turtle. And we were preventing that. But you'd be going. I was a kid. I was young. But I can remember walking on the beach. And so here's the ocean crashing waves, waiting for turtles to come up. And you take your flashlight and you go behind you. And you could look out and all you would see were red eyes staring back at you. All these crocodiles that are watching you walk along the beach. And I asked somebody, it's like, what are all those? Those are crocodiles. And I'm like, what in the fuck am I doing here? No you know, I thought to myself, well, I know I can outrun most of you, but I'm not going to be able to outrun all of you. So. <laughs> Yeah, so I agree with you. We need to protect the turtles, especially especially the leatherbacks. They're pretty amazing when you get around them. I don't know how the hell I got on that, but what the hell. You know, I said in the beginning, you have been a friend of mine for a long time. I love you. I think that what you're about, what you have done, the trail that you have blazed has been so impressive and so worthy of sharing it with people, especially on this platform, this audience, because it's going out across the globe and and for people to get to know you a little bit. And I just, you know, I really, really do thank you from the bottom of my heart. I got one final question I want to throw at you. Okay. As you reflect back um, at the path that you've carved out and, and what you've done, what's the biggest life lesson you think you've learned? Oh, well, you have the word tenacity up there. It's never giving up. And like I said, a no is a yes that hasn't been fully developed, but that you need a support system, a strong support system. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw it back to you, Todd. Todd, I met you when you were really young and you Mm -hmm. were still learning. And I am so proud of what you have done. Your pathway and your career pathway has just been so impressive. And you also are the same way. You've never given up. You've always taken the high road. You have great integrity. Everybody respects you in this industry. You have been on the biggest boards and uh, you have proven yourself time and time again, that you're a true leader in this industry under the organic community and we shouldn't we can't be prouder and I and I used to think boy the future looks bright because of Todd and now you've passed it on to your two children which tells me that the future looks bright again as we look at the next generation and um, you know we set the table and we probably carved a tougher path and hopefully we've made it easier for the next generation Yeah, thank you. And let them take it to the next level because I pass the baton to you you pass it on and that's all great. Thank you. That's very sweet of you. That means that really does mean the world to me, especially coming from you, because it, it, it you, you carry a lot of water in my life. And I really appreciate it. I, I can remember those days being so green and you jumping my ass trying to get me right and telling me what I, you know, telling acting like I knew something that you already knew three times over and you just put me back in my place. Like, all right, get your shit together, kid. This, you're not going to win this one. You better come alongside. I was hoping I was more of a mentor than a screamer. I'm sorry. No, you were absolutely a mentor. You held my hand big time. But boy, when it was time, when it was time, I got it. And, and well-deserved. I have no problem with it. I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing with me that. Thank you for saying that. That really does mean a lot. Um, and thank you for being here. Thank you for being my friend. Thanks for hanging out. Um, I want you guys to come back. You have an open ticket here. You know that. OPS, OGS, OPN. Every acronym starts with O. You guys are more than welcome to come share. You know, I do appreciate you. I appreciate what you've done, what you're doing, what you continue doing, and uh, anything we can do to help support, we want to do. Thank you. It's the best industry in the world. If anybody's sitting on the fence about it, they want to get in the produce industry, do it. It's so Absolutely. fun. It's, yeah, and it's Absolutely. so rewarding. Well, a big Zoom hug to you, girl. Thanks. Zooming back. Thank you, Bye. everybody. Thank you.
thanks everybody for hanging out with us. I hope that uh, you're inspired as much as I am from this conversation because it was a darn good one and I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for being with us. Don't forget, uh, check us out on social media. Check out Todd Bits. They're coming out every week too. Uh, keep liking and loving on us. We'll keep liking and loving on you back. We appreciate everybody. Take care. Remember, go inspire somebody today. It's not hard to do. It's simple as a hello, but it makes a difference on this planet if we all do it every day. Take care, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Tonya. Bye. See you, everybody.